Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm L.A. Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. You know I just said parents around the world? Well, our guest today just went around the world for her one-hour Comedy Central special. It's called Desi Lydic Abroad. Desi Lydic is our guest today. She joined The Daily Show as a correspondent in September 2015 when Trevor Noah started his tenure as host. She's a professionally trained improvisational and comedic actress. She had a starring role on MTV's hit comedy series, Awkward, where she befriended one of our Atomic Moms buddies and a two-time Atomic Moms guest, Nikki Deloche. Do you guys remember Nikki's story about her baby boy Bennett's open heart surgery? I'm going to add a link to that in our show notes. If you haven't checked it out, you should. And you will quickly see why these two women are friends. It's a total coincidence that I am interviewing Desi today. But are there any coincidences? Desi's other credits include FX's The League and Cameron Crowe's We Bought a Zoo. So Desi is joining us today to talk about toddler ranking there's, that's not a word, toddler wrangling, keeping things civil in our families divided by politics. We both have Republican mothers, FYI. We talk about Desi auditioning for The Daily Show while being pregnant. And of course, we talk about this comedy documentary special. So do you guys remember the global gender gap report that came out from the World Economic Forum in 2017? It was a huge bummer. It was all over the internet. America did not do too hot. The report examines the gap between men and women in four areas. And the four areas were economic opportunity, political empowerment, educational attainment, and health in the environment. And so in this special, Desi travels to Iceland, which was number one, Namibia, which is number 13, and Spain, number 24, to study up on what makes them better than us in regards to the gender gap. So here's the trailer for Desi Lydic Abroad. The U.S. is ranked 49th in the world when it comes to gender equality. The United States needs to improve its performance. It's way past time. If I want America to be the best, I need to meet the best. I'm going to need an hour and a crew and this NAACP award. I'm going to take this. I'm Iceland, and this is Desi. No, that's not right. Feminism, it's not going to be the same everywhere. Our women were in the front line. I was on the front lines as well with my apartment reno and my co-op. Military women. Yeah, same, same. Yeah. Oh, no. Women are awake. We want more. It leveled the playing field. Believe that? We're still working on it. Mm. I know. I'm shocked, too. Iceland. Namibia. Spain. We took <laughs> their space. Let's make some trouble. Let's make some trouble. I just got a vagina tattooed on my arm. Yeah. yeah. No one said equality was going to be easy. I'm ready to put the U.S. back on top. Conquer yourself. Love yourself. I conquer myself a lot, if yeah. we're being honest. Yeah. In the bath, on the bed, when I'm watching Wolf Blitzer. Wow. Okay, you can't walk it. Oh, it's okay. I'm an American. Hi, Desi. Hey, Ellie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am so excited to do this. I, I love your podcast. 
Oh, thank you. Your ears should have been burning because Nikki Deloche was raving about you yesterday. <laughs> I love her so much. I love that we share her as a friend. She is legitimately superwoman, that woman. I know. Well, she said the same about you. Oh. Which I agree after having the opportunity to watch your special. Oh. It was so much fun. I loved it. So, Desi, can you share with us like what sparked this special and this crazy journey? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know, growing up in the South in a very Republican household, very patriotic household, it's like I grew up hearing constantly and incessantly, America is the greatest country in the world. And when this report came out and they ranked America 49th in the world, it became abundantly clear to me that, you know, we are not the greatest country in the world for women right now. And 49th just sounded shocking to me. And, and I've been paying close attention to, to this administration and everything going on that has felt like a real punch to the ovaries over the last few years. So in, in some ways, of course, there's that part of us that's like, yeah, it, that, that, it kind of feels like we're 49th. But America having no issue boasting about their number one-ness in literally everything, I just found it so so confusing that here we're the country that once aspired to put a man on the moon. Why are we so satisfied with mediocrity when it comes to gender equality? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I found that, that when, when women often speak out about this, uh, whether it's through social media or whether we're going out marching or protesting um, or sharing our, our voices on our frustration and, and that we want more, there's this weird pushback that we often get when people putting up resistance and, and getting defensive about it and saying, you know, what are you talking about? Women have it great in this country. If you hate it so much, why don't you go to this country or that country where they really hate women? And it's like, no, we're, we're America. We should be holding ourselves to the highest standard. I want to know who's ranked number one. Who's ranked number five? Who's 24th? Who's twice as good as we are? Let's go to those countries and figure out a way of copying off their homework and then taking credit for it later ourselves, because that, that is what America is all about. <laughs> so that is, what, that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to, to have an opportunity to go explore the world and, and talk to women in other countries that are ranked higher than we are and, and figure out, you know, what are they doing? What is happening there that's working for them? And could that potentially work here in America? So in terms of copying other countries' homework, I am curious uh -huh. about the benefits that you found that these other countries have experienced from having more women in leadership positions. Yes. Yes. I, I think one common thread in all three countries that I, I visited. I went to Iceland, I went to Namibia, and I went to Spain. And the, the, one of the most powerful things that I took away from all three of those countries is that when you have more women in the room in positions of power, good things happen for women. Women are coming to the table with their experiences, and they're able to fight for laws, pass legislation that helps benefit other women. And it's not to say that 
the men in the room don't care about women's needs. They're just not necessarily coming in with, with that experience. They may not know what it is that we feel we need. So um, it, it's, it, it, that has worked in, in many countries, just having more women making decisions. In Iceland, for example, we talk a lot about the wage gap. Um, and uh, you hear that 80 cents on the dollar figure pretty regularly. Um, women are paid 80 cents for, for every dollar that a man is paid. And, uh, and the one portion of it that I didn't necessarily think about so much um, that Iceland really opened up my eyes to is the fact that they, that there is a correlation between the wage gap and parental leave. Mm -hmm. They have nine months parental leave and it's parental leave. It's not maternity leave. So they have three months for, for one parent, three months for the other parent, and then three months to share between the two. So that's nine months total, and it's all at 80% pay. So they're getting paid for that amount of time to be at home with their child. And, when, and, and the men there participate in it. So it's not just a formality. They're actually taking time off as well. So when you're applying for a job and you're in your 30s, and your employer might think, okay, this woman might want to have children sometime soon. Your employer isn't going to discriminate against you because you're a woman and you might, might take time off because the, a man applying for that same job will likely take that time off as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an incredible way that they've been able to really level the playing field and help close their gap significantly in a pretty short period of time. We had an interesting conversation with the author of The Fifth Trimester, and it was advice about going back to work. And she said that one of the most important things that we can do in terms of ending this motherhood wage penalty is mm -hmm. to really, really encourage men to take parental leave. Don't just offer it, yes. but strongly encourage it, because if they're not taking it because it still feels taboo at the workplace, right? then we're still stuck in the same situation. And, you know, we are- Exactly. We're stuck with the child care, the elder care, the household care. Mm -hmm. God, I was reading the organization for, this is so long, <laughs> Organization for Economic <laughs> Cooperation and Development, the OECD. Okay, so here is a quote. According to well OECD well data, the motherhood penalty amounts to about a 7% wage reduction per child. There is also some evidence of a fatherhood premium, a positive relationship between a man's wage and the number of children he has. Yes. So in America, the more kids you got, the more money you'll make as dad and the less money you'll make as the mother. And it sucks. Yes, it's exactly right. When men, when men become fathers, their salaries increase by like 26% and, and women's decrease. Like it, it is because they culturally, you know, we look at men as the breadwinners and the providers. So an employer looks at a man and goes like, oh, he's got, he now has a family to provide for. So he's an asset because he's going to work twice as hard because the, the woman will stay at home and, and pick up all the slack and take, take the entire burden of the, the caretaking duties. Mm -hmm. the, the other part, the other part of it too, is like the discrimination also happens on, on the other side. If a man 
if a man does want to be a stay-at-home father or if a man's going to take an extended leave to be to be with his child or children for a period of time there's there's a bias towards towards him the way his friends are going to talk to him him wanting to go on play dates with other parents or or caretakers they're often not clamoring to go you know hang out with the dad they think like oh am i crossing a line is this inappropriate is it okay if we have a play date so there are all kinds of weird like cultural um, obstacles in doing that. So it's, it's a matter of, of, I think very slowly and, and, um, putting in the effort to, to change those biases over time. I really appreciated your discussion with the Icelandic father. Is that even what I say? Icelandic? <laughs> because he, what he was like, yeah, this is pretty obvious. Um, this is what we do. It wasn't any sort of you know, it wasn't taking him down a peg in terms of his masculinity to stay home and take care of his child. It's just what everyone thinks is right. And and they've made it work. I want to ask you about your own interview for a job, because we were just talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the bias and the discrimination that can happen if you're a pregnant person. So you were four months pregnant. You're now three year old. When you flew to New York for yes. an in-person interview to be a correspondent on The Daily Show, okay, what was that conversation like? How, <laughs> how did you tell them you were pregnant? And then how the heck did you move across the country? It was the craziest experience. And you know what it's like as an actor. You spend all these years training and acting class and, and work comes in sporadically. And I spent seven, seven years waiting tables while I was acting. So I, every, my career was every, I would drop anything to, to have an opportunity for a job, whether it's, you know, a job on a sitcom or a Burger King callback, you know, whatever it was, I would not go on vacations. Everything was, was dedicated towards (laughs) getting a job. I'm getting hives, the flashbacks. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I'm putting it right back to that place. So the daily show was my total dream job. I was a huge fan in the John era. I loved the daily show and I, I, I held it in such high esteem. I loved what Steve Carell and Colbert and Sam B did on the, on the show. And I loved the way that they helped make politics digestible. And that kind of satire was just like, it, it, I, it's like, it's my jam. I just, I admire what they did for so long. So when I had the opportunity to audition for it, you know, of course I drop everything and I put a tape together and the daily show has you, uh, they have you read two pieces that have already been on the show. And then they also have you write your own piece to get a sense of what you think your voice is. So I wrote and, and did my own piece. I, I did this whole self tape I did their two pieces and I submitted it and I didn't hear anything back. And this was in, this was in November. It was in November after I got, I got married in September and this was November. And I heard, I didn't hear anything back and they hide, they brought in a new correspondent. They brought on Hassan Minaj and I thought, okay, well, that's it. That's, that's it. That was my shot. Not going to happen. All right. Pilot season's coming up in four months. So I will just hold out until then. And Two months later, they called and they were just kind of poking around, checking availability a little bit. You know, is she free? And of course, I'm clamoring. I'm like, I'll be on a plane tomorrow. I'll, I'll be there. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're, we're kind of just feeling things out. Okay, good to know. 
so it, it, there was a few months that were going by. In the meantime, John announced that he was leaving the show. I started going out for pilot season, always kind of with the daily show in the back of my mind. And come March, I just had this, this feeling like my husband and I were newly married and we had been together for, for a long time. And we thought, let's just start being open to trying and, and see what happens, thinking that it would probably be a long process. And we just sort of like threw caution to the wind. And I went, I'm going to stop like living my life for, for that job. And I am just going to live my life for, for us. And we got pregnant a month later. And then the Daily Show called and said, of course Trevor is meeting actors in July. Can you come out and read with Trevor? And I went, uh-huh. Yes, I will. Thinking, oh, shit, this is my dream job. And I just screwed it up by getting pregnant. What am I going to do? Am I going to tell them? Do I keep it from them? And I, can I tell you, every, all of my girlfriends were like, don't you dare tell them. You don't owe them anything. This is your career. Of course you're, this, you have the right to go and you audition for that thing. You just get the job and you tell them later. And I, I was very close to doing that. I was very close to do that, doing that. But I just kept thinking, like, part of my job is being on camera. They should know that by the time the job starts, I'm going to be six months pregnant. There's no hiding it. So I flew to New York. I met with Trevor. I thought, okay, I'll audition first. And then I'll tell them after. So I meet Trevor. He's great. We do, we, do the, we do the audition. Everything goes well. I sit in the waiting room. Everyone else goes. Everyone else leaves. They come back and tell me this for the third time. They're like, you can go. You're, we got it. You can, you can leave and go back to your hotel room. I go, no, no, no. So I'm just going to wait. If I can talk to it's so awkward. They just think you're a stalker. Like, I, I, like <laughs> They think I'm a, they now here I'm pregnant and they think I'm a crazy person just like waiting for feedback or something. And I go, I'm just going to wait for Jen Flans if she just has a second when you're done. So finally, it's like an hour later, I've been waiting like a creeper and Jen Flans, the executive producer, um, comes out and she goes, hey, yeah, what's, what's up? And I just, I'm really honest with her. And I say, this is, this is my absolute dream job. If I were lucky enough to get this job, I'd move here tomorrow, but you should know that I'm four months pregnant. And she, <laughs> I'm waiting for this massive reaction. And she just looks at me very calmly, very matter of fact. And she goes, amazing. Congrats. Cool. No, we'd use it or we wouldn't use it. Whatever you want. We've done it before. We'll do it again. Great. And I was like, oh, my God, all this pent up anxiety, freaking out. It was the greatest response to get from a potential employer. And I went, OK, that's the place that I want to work. I want to be there. They're going to have to kick me out because I want to be there forever. It was it was the greatest reaction. And that is the way that it should always be. But it's just it's not. It's not always like that. So it was incredibly appreciative. It makes me so happy to hear that because it also aligns with you know, the the politics of the show. Like, it would feel so hypocritical if the Daily Show was like, nah, like, you can't, right? right? So it's just <laughs> yeah. really nice to hear that behind the scenes that it it measures up. I have a, an embarrassing story. The first time I ever got 
a part on a TV show was when I was pregnant. You know, because as it happens, you know, you wait years and years, and then I finally get like, a little guest star on Happy Endings, and I was uh, oh, six yes. six weeks pregnant, and there was a requirement for the role. I had to get the Heimlich. <laughs> I was like, what? Stop it. Yes. I had to eat deli meat in a grocery store and get the Heimlich oh. from Adam Pally. And I was like, there's so much wrong with this. What is the universe doing to me? It's everything you're not supposed to do while you're pregnant. And you're in that sweet spot where you can't quite tell yeah. people. Yeah. And you're probably nauseous too. Were you, oh, it was were you nauseous? Oh, so nauseous. And oh, God. we did. Oh, my God. It was so embarrassing because I was, like you, just waiting for the right moment to share it. Because I, I didn't, you know, this is such a yeah. small thing. And I was, and, you know, it is a requirement to get the Heimlich for it. So I didn't want to, you know, give them a reason not to let me show up. So we did the first little run through. And I thought, you know, also being a trained theater actor, that, you know, when you're going through a physical thing that the other actor, you know, that you take it step by step slowly. Like, are you okay with me touching you here? That kind of thing, right? Yeah, um, boundary talk, yep. Mm -hmm. But no, it was Adam Pally, who's an incredible comedic and improvisational actor, rushed over, gave it his all. <laughs> and I had to be like, no way, I'm pregnant. So then they had a oh, call. No. They had to call over the set medic. Like it was, it was a really, <laughs> a whole thing. Did you have to yell? You had to yell it out. Yeah, in I'm front pregnant. Of everybody, and, you had to and, say, "No, stop! I'm pregnant." And he had his arms around me, like he had started to do it, and he was shocked because he's a father. And yeah, the director had to go talk to the medic, and I was like, "Oh, great, I'm getting fired." But anyway, that's my embarrassing pregnancy <gasps> story. Oh my gosh. Oh, I feel yeah. Okay, so you're from Louisville, Kentucky. It seems to be a part of your identity. Like when I've read, you know, when I've done my stalking on you, it comes up quite a bit. <laughs> and you shared, you know, I'm uh -huh. from Texas, and I like to share that I'm from Texas every chance I get. Yes. You know, you shared earlier that you come from Republican stock. So what was that conversation like when you called your family and you're like, hey, guess what, guys? I know you've always wanted big things <laughs> for me. I'm going to be a correspondent on The Daily Show. It, you know, I, shockingly, my parents are incredibly supportive and they, they knew that that was a dream of mine. They knew how much I loved the show. And even they, you know, they watched some at the time, like they were, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say they, they definitely weren't tuning in every night, but they were familiar with Jon Stewart. And I think that they, as my mom would say, she got a kick out of him. So I think that there was like a little bit of an appreciation for it and they were excited for me, obviously, but it's tough for them to summit because they are, they're not just Republicans. They are like Fox news watching yeah. Republicans. Yeah. 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 And that's, and it, it, that's a whole, you know, Texas, like that's a whole, that's a whole other kind of Republican. So, you know, they weren't originally really Trump supporters, which is great, but still nonetheless, it, it, so it's funny, like my mom, my mom will watch my stuff, 
but she will fast forward everything else and just kind of stop on it. (laughs) And then she'll say, like, if we ever get into a political conversation, she'll just she'll kind of wrap it up neatly by saying, well, you know, I don't want to I don't want to get into this and and get into a big argument because you have to believe the way you do for your job. So I don't want to mess that up for you. Like she has to compartmentalize it. Like my politics are because I have to keep my job. Right. Right. It helps. It helps. It, helps it justifies her, uh, it for her. Stomach it and justify it. Yeah. They have not asked to come to any tapings. <laughs> I will say that. Well, <laughs> when I moved to Los Angeles to be an actor, and again, everyone, I should share that I'm a recovering actor. I no longer act. But, you know, my parents really wanted me to have a job lined up. And so I got a job and it was, again, coming from Republican stock. And my job was working as production coordinator on a Ralph Nader documentary, which I don't think could have been like (laughs) any more horrifying (laughs) to my family. Of course. But then it got got accepted at Sundance and it was shortlisted for the Academy Awards. So I don't think my father has still sat through it, but he's very proud, you know, from afar. As (laughs) he should be. It must be hard for them. Can I ask you, like, when you go home, do you, do you get into it? Do you discuss politics? with each other? Or do you just kind of like, just not address it? Uh, Okay. My dad and my stepmom are really good at not addressing it. Even Mm -hmm. my mom wants to fix me. (laughs) Uh, Right, right, right. But I have learned to not take the bait as much, although it can be difficult because she is really an impressive woman who build the most hours at her law firm and was one of the first, you know, was one of the only female partners and was a single mom and went back to law school. Like she is such an incredible role model. And yet some of her politics, it can definitely get heated. Like you don't want to, you might not go into the living room if Fox News is on and like a bottle of Chardonnay is open. How about that? Is that fair? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You hide one of the two. It can either be Fox (laughs) News or the Chardonnay, but certainly not both. Exactly. I feel Yeah. (laughs) I actually go for the bourbon at home. I just like <laughs> immediately reach for the maker's mark to just try to like get my way through the week. Totally. And I'm it sure, you know, works. for listeners who are conservative, I'm sure you feel the same way when your more liberal uh, relatives show up over Thanksgiving. Of course. Because I was so excited about you being a guest, I had to brag about you, obviously, to my girlfriend, Nikki Deloche, who you guys, you guys were buddies on Awkward, but also... One of our most, I'd say most popular guests on the podcast has been Becky Friedman, and she is the head writer of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. She was recently nominated for another Emmy. And so I texted her because her husband, Adam Lowett, was an executive producer on The Daily Show for a long time. And so he has a question for you. This is not my question for you. This is his question for you. I don't want to get in trouble as... (laughs) Texas wasp. Okay, here's my question for you from Adam. Who's been your favorite Jew to work with on The Daily Show? Oh, God, there's so many great Jews at The Daily Show. So many. It's really hard. It's hard to keep track. Um, There was a very funny, bald guy (laughs) who at one point had a broken foot and then very quickly recovered. He was a great joke writer kind of awkward socially. Um, and I can't remember his name. He had a wife who was in literature. Um, 
Huh, let's see. I, you know what? It name totally escapes me, but he was awesome. He was very, very cool. I'm guessing it's Adam. <laughs> Adam Lowett. That's, that's right. It, that's that it. Is, it's now ringing a bell. I miss that guy. He's so cool. And yet he's also very quiet. Like Becky's definitely the social one in the couple. And he, he has tons of friends. But you, you know, I think of like, yeah. you always think that joke writers will be like, performing at all times and they're no. not they're not at all no he's he has a very cool like very cool calm energy he's like the coolest guy in the room yep. and then when he and he'll he'll deliver a joke and it's just like a slam dunk because he, it kind of sneaks up on you because mm-hmm. he doesn't have that like look at me look at me sort of yeah. like desire in a room he just sort of he, he kills people with some like great witty remarks He's amazing. I miss him. And I love that. Like, who's been your favorite Jew to work with on The Daily Show is a question from the husband of the woman who has taught all of our children empathy. Like, so, like, what thank a funny Thank God couple. for Daniel Tiger. Know, thank Can God. I tell you, I'm sure you talk about this all the time, but Daniel Tiger is not for our kids. It's for us. I don't know what to do with my kid ever. How do I talk to him about you know, being, getting angry. How do I talk talk to him about calming down and sharing and all those things? I honestly don't know what I'm doing at any point of the day. And Daniel Tiger will tell me what to do. So speaking of what to do, okay, when you were in Namibia, by the way, I'm like, I slowly say Mm -hmm. Namibia. I know. I know. (sighs) It's not an easy one. Okay. You had your three-year-old at home. So how do you prep your toddler for when you're going out of town like, do you have spreadsheets? Like, how do you maintain control from afar? So my, people talk about, I have a boy and people talk about, oh, you have a boy is going to be such a mama's boy. Boys love their mamas. They snuggle with their mamas. They, they're so attached to their mom. I am still waiting for him to choose me as his favorite. He is 100% a daddy's boy. So I'm distraught and losing my shit at the idea of being away from him for three weeks. And my son is like, could not be cooler about it. He had no problem. He did great. He did absolutely. He did so well. And I mean, I have to say to my husband is, is pretty amazing. And that we both work full time. We both travel. My husband is very much an equal partner. He, he picks up at least 50% of the slack around the house. And, and we, we have, we've kind of like divvied it out pretty well. If anything, I would say he's probably more of the primary caretaker he takes on so much. So, so luckily there was not a complete and total meltdown from, from my son over it. Um, I, on the other hand, being away, <laughs> I would call like, thank God for FaceTime because we were able to to see each other and I could get at least like a little snippet of him while I was away that I kind of call and check in on them and be like, you know, did you, did you remember to, did you remember to bring the, the swimsuit to, to the swim class? Because you know, the swim class again, my husband again is like, yeah, no, we got it. It's good. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, but did you, so are you missing, you know, mom is not there to read the bedtime story tonight. Are you? You're kind of stuck with daddy reading it every night. Does he do all the voices that I do? I mean, does he? <laughs> Brixton's like, well, good, mama. I'm good. Bye, mommy. <laughs> I'm like, 
I'm like, I'm very needy. And, uh, and he gave me nothing. They were completely fine the entire time. <laughs> One of my favorite moments uh. in the special is when you call your son and, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to spill the joke, but like everyone needs to watch it because it's so, oh my God, it's so our family. And I know that you're, it's like a parody for you, but that's literally how I talk to <laughs> my husband talks to our daughter. We get aggressive, <laughs> aggressive with the mind games. It, it's just. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you are, even though you're going to these different countries, it's still clear that you are, you know, you're always checking back in with your child back home. What made you guys decide on those three countries? Like, how come you didn't go to Rwanda, which is ranked number six? Yeah, well, we thought about, we actually discussed Rwanda for a yeah. very, very long period of time. And, you know, Rwanda, we, we absolutely could have gone to Rwanda. We won the the genocide happening in Rwanda is a very large part of why there are so many women in government. And the incredible thing is they, they sort of did it out of necessity at first, and then they were able to actually maintain it. And they, they have now since made an effort to continue, continue that. But when you're talking about Comedy Central and 41 minutes of, of finding the funny, <laughs> we were, to be completely honest, a little concerned about finding the funny and talking about genocide. Mm-hmm. So it was, <laughs> from a creative standpoint, that was a little challenging for us. Um, the, the, the other thing and the, the bigger reason we wanted to go to Namibia is because, you know, I hadn't seen anything on Namibia. I knew nothing about Namibia. And when we tried to do research, it was actually really hard to even find information online. Um, They're a developing nation. I hadn't seen many other news shows or documentaries go there. So we were really excited about kind of talking about a country, shining a spotlight on a country that not many people are out there talking about. Mm -hmm. So that was part of it for us. The other part from from a very selfish place was they have this place called Sandwich Harbor, which is the only place in the world where the dunes meet the ocean. It is insane. And I am not a well-traveled person. So like, this was my opportunity. I, this was like my semester at sea. And we got there. It's the most beautiful, picturesque, picturesque experience you're sitting like you look to your left and there are all these crazy sand dunes and you look to your right and it's just a huge body of water. These two worlds are colliding and it is so beautiful. So to, to be able to sit at the top of that sand dune, do a couple stand ups, drink a cocktail and shoot some B-roll. It was a complete dream. So really this was just about me going on vacation and getting Comedy Central to pay for it. Uh. <laughs> Well done, mom. So in in closing, you know, I was talking to my girlfriend, Nikki Deloche, yesterday, and she was just, you know, going on and on about what incredible person you are, not only as a friend, but also to work with, and that you are one of the most driven and ambitious uh, women that she knows. And ambition is, you know, a word we are reclaiming on Atomic Moms. We're owning it. And so my final question for you is, you know, when you feel like you're really losing it, let's say your kid's been up Mm -hmm. all night or you've been, you know, they've been puking or the nanny can't show up and there's no backup nanny and you've got a huge pitch for something. Like, what does the Desi Lydic pep talk look like? Like, what are the rituals that make you forget that parenting is trying to ruin your life? (laughs) Uh, Cracking open a bottle of Maker's Mark. 
that's when the southern part of me really comes out. Um, I I don't I don't have the right answer for that. That is something that I struggle with all day, every day, is finding the balance. I don't know how to get through it. I really don't. And I I have one kid. I mean, I don't even have multiple children. So it's it is. I think you know. One, I, I depend on my partner and I ask for help. And if I'm about to lose my shit, I try to take a deep breath and count to four, like Daniel Tiger says. And then I try to walk away for a minute and, and come back to it. Um, and I just keep telling myself, like, you know what? We're, we just got to do the best we can. We just got to do the best we can. No one tells us we need to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. You know, when you're giving the thing that's right in front of you, whether it's your kid or your, your husband or your job, that you're giving something in front of you so much energy. And then the thing, the other thing is not getting attention at that time. There's this, this idea that if you work hard enough and you're ambitious enough and you make good enough choices that you can have it all. Well, yeah, you can, you can have it all, but you certainly can't have it all at one time. And I have to try to accept that. And that's, that's what I kind of tell myself. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Desi. Thank you. Everybody check out Desi Lydic Abroad, the one-hour comedy documentary special. It's airing on Comedy Central Monday, May 13th. Uh, thank you so much for giving us your energy and time today, Desi. Oh, Ellie, thank you. I so appreciate it. Okay, everybody, don't forget to share this podcast with friends. I can't tell you how helpful it is if you can just share a link on your Facebook mom group page, recommend it to friends if they have a phone and it's an iPhone, like just grab it from them and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Uh, some people still don't know how to use podcasts and they're missing out. You can also check out our website at atomicmoms.com where we have show notes. Join our newsletter uh, for the latest and greatest on the podcast. Next week, we have the founder of Aiden and Anae, the swaddling blankets, you know, the one that we all have. Reagan is going to be discussing with us how she built her business. It's a great one. Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. Mm-hmm.